Hi, folks. On this episode of the Plug in America show, we meet Joel Levin, Plug in America's new executive director, and we learn about Joel's work in the nonprofit sector. Joel has had some really unique experiences, and we hear what Joel has been thinking about as he contemplates his new role at Plug in America. But before we get started, please remember that Plug in America is a nonprofit electric vehicle advocacy group, and our work is supported by your generous donations. Please consider donating by visiting pluginamerica.org today, and we appreciate your kind support. Also, please be sure to visit pluginamerica.org and click the multimedia and podcast tabs for the show notes and links to this episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Plug in America show. I'm your host, Bob Tregillis. Joining us today is Joel Levin, Plug in America's new executive director. Welcome to the Plug in America show, Joel. Thank you very much, Bob. Cool. Well, let's learn a little bit about uh, what Joel is and how he came to us and stuff. Uh, I see you have a background, big background in climate policy there in California. I guess you're in the L.A. area. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Okay, thanks. So prior to coming to Plug in America, I worked for 12 years at the Climate Action Reserve. So uh, if you're familiar with them, Climate Action Reserve is a nonprofit organization that was set up by the state of California to be kind of a clearinghouse on uh, policy and accounting standards for greenhouse gas emissions. So for the last 12 years, they have developed standards around measuring greenhouse gas emissions profiles and uh, carbon offsets as well. And so they're, well, they're a nonprofit. They work very closely with the state of California in implementing the cap-and-trade program in California. So then do they also deal with the RECs, the renewable energy credits in those markets, or do you just advise on policy in, the, in that regard or what? Not so much. We're more connected with carbon offsets. So the idea mm-hmm. is that someone develops a project someplace that has real reductions of greenhouse gas emissions, and we develop a, an accounting standard for how do you actually measure those and audit them and make sure that they're real and quantifiable, and we issue credits uh, for those reductions, and then those credits can be used uh, in the California cap-and-trade program, and people can use them for compliance to reduce their, uh, their compliance obligations. Cool. Excellent. And just briefly, I mean, I think we should throw this in here, but uh, you, you had a really interesting background. We were talking before we started the show about the Ukraine and Russia. You have a master's degree in, um, in that area. Why don't you just say a few words about that? Sure. So I'm fortunate that I feel like I've lived a few different lives and done a number of different interesting things. Um, prior to getting involved in energy and climate work, I was formerly doing international development work mostly in the former Soviet Union. So I lived in eastern Ukraine for about a year and a half, actually not very far from where all the fighting is happening now. Uh, Tragically enough, I I know I still have good friends that live not very far from there. And uh, I was working for a development agency doing basically humanitarian work. And uh, I also worked for six years uh, supporting a program in Central Asia. That's the the stands, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, all those guys. Um, it was quite sh- shortly after the Soviet Union broke up, and we had a program 
funded by the U.S. government to encourage the development of civil society and, in particular, of nonprofit organizations. So we did a lot of training and nonprofit management, and we had provided a lot of resources to those organizations. It was a really exciting moment in time. It was really fun work. Wow, man, that's some really great experience, and I'm glad to see you joining us here at Plug in America, bringing that experience to the EV space. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience with EVs? So, um, I should confess that I actually <laughs> did not own an EV up until last week, literally. Um, I have been fortunate that during the period I was working at the Climate Action Reserve, I was able to take public transit to work and ride my bike, and so didn't have an own a car that whole time, um, and managed to get along without one. Actually, my, my wife owns a car, but uh, I uh, have not needed one for commuting, and so I obviously, for obvious reasons, I felt like this is a good time. I needed to get an EV, and mm -hmm. I have done uh, an experiment over the last two months and wanted to get a sense of the dealer experience because a lot of people talk about what it's like to go to a dealer and try to buy an EV and uh, not everyone's thrilled with how that turns out. So I basically went to all of the different um, manufacturers and test drove their cars. So I've test driven most of the cars that are on the market right now and had the experience of going into a dealer and talking with them and um, asking about EVs. And as might not surprise you and some of your listeners, it's a mixed bag. Some of them were very sharp, right on their game. They knew a lot about the vehicles, and some of them didn't. Some of them sort of looked at their feet and uh, suggested that uh, a gas car might be less expensive for me. Uh, so it was kind of an interesting experience. One of the other things, I mean, I, I learned a lot from it too. Uh, one important thing that I realized is that they're all great cars. Uh, the manufacturers have done really an impressive job with the current generation of uh, EVs and, and plug-in hybrids that, you know, there's a stereotype that some people have that they're like little tin boxes that won't go on the freeway and nothing could be further from the truth. The cars that I drove, all of them, I thought were, were impressive, solid cars. Um, but I have very specific needs. I have a son in middle school and he, uh, we carpool him to school with three other kids. So I needed a car that was big enough that you could fit three fairly lanky middle schoolers in the back seat. Uh, and so I was very focused on this one particular thing, which is why we ended up, uh, we bought the Mercedes B class. Um, mm -hmm. not that I was looking for a Mercedes in particular, although it's a great car, but I needed a, a car that could comfortably fit, you know, four middle schoolers in it. And one of the big insights I've, I've had also about EVs is that there is one for everybody, that they're, the different cars really fit people with different needs. So it's not like there's going to be one winner in the market. Um, in fact, I, I think as is true with, with gas cars as well, there's a lot of different cars that are useful for people with different needs. Um, people who buy a Volt and people who buy a Leaf generally they have slightly different needs. It's not like one is a better car than the other one. So it depends on your situation. So that's kind of uh, my insight about the market from my experience. So when you were talking to dealers and let's say you walked into a dealer where they were not very EV friendly, did you, I'm just curious, did you ask and say, well, is there another salesperson who, who more knowledgeable about the EVs or did you just kind of talk to them and 
take what they were saying. So generally I found there's sort of two different uh, situations at a dealer. Sometimes there is a salesman who's like the EV guy. And that happened to me in a couple of dealers where I walked in and I said, hey, I'm interested in your electric vehicle. And they said, oh, you need to go over and talk to Joe. Joe is our EV guy. And then when that happened, generally Joe really knew his business uh, and was very helpful. And then sometimes not. Sometimes the, the salesman would try to help me. And sometimes they were knowledgeable and sometimes they weren't. With a situation like that, the salesman generally is not going to pass you to someone else because that's basically giving away his sale. Uh, so they, you know, they're, I think they're somewhat competitive about hanging on to uh, their customers because, right. you know, they get paid on commission, understandably. Yeah. As you come in the door, I guess they just get in a queue and whoever, you know, you just end up with whoever happens to be at the front of the queue at that time. So what are you thinking about your Mercedes B-Class? Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? I see it's uh, here on the Plug-in America vehicle tracker. It talks about it having about an 87-mile range. And uh, how long have you been driving it so far? Uh, a week. So wow. uh, I'm still ex getting to know it and getting to know the features. We actually have a, uh, a charging station uh, going to be installed in my house next week. So for the mm -hmm. moment, we're still charging it on level one, mm -hmm. which has worked out fine because really uh, we to don't use it more than 20, 30 miles a day. So it's pretty easy to keep it charged up on level one. Mm -hmm. It hasn't been an issue. But uh, I think having a level two charger at the house will, will give us some more flexibility. So I'm excited to get that uh, installed. And it, it turned out getting the charger is pretty straightforward. We ordered uh, the equipment online and I called an electrician that I've worked with and other things. And they're like, oh yeah, we've installed dozens of those. It's not a big deal. So it's actually pretty straightforward to get one installed. And uh, my utility, um, LADWP, uh, actually gives us a big rebate on the equipment. So they're covering a big, big chunk of the cost. Right. So... Then, of course, you've got a really good situation where you're a two-car family. So, you know, it's like if you're a two-car family, it's like why not have at least one car that's electric? Uh, what, what is your other car? What is your wife's car? Uh, it's, a, it's a Honda CRV. Uh -huh. um, and so we'll keep it, I imagine, for, for long-distance trips for now. Uh, but as, as everybody at Plug-in America warned me, once you get once you have a gas car and an EV – the gas car basically just sits, you know, <laughs> people, you know, nobody really wants to use it because uh, the EV is kind of a better driving experience and more fun. Right. And you don't have to worry about the gas. Exactly. Uh, well, what is your wife's, happening. Yeah, what is your wife's impression? I'm sure she's driven it a little bit now, the Mercedes. Uh, she likes it and all the kids in the carpool like it. So it's working out pretty well. We never anticipated getting a Mercedes. It's not, we've never had one before. But it sort of worked out that way. <laughs> I guess uh, you... You work from home, I get the impression. And was she commute then? Uh, she works from home as well. Actually. Oh, okay. So we, neither one of us has a commute right now. Ah, um, okay. That's good. <laughs> so it's just for running around, going to the store, taking the kids to school and all that kind of stuff. Okay, yeah. Perfect. Right, going to meetings. I think like you'll that. find that gas car going bye-bye here sometime pretty soon. <laughs> uh, it could happen, yeah. Mm -hmm. If they get the range up a little bit or we can replace it with maybe a – uh, plug-in hybrid and we won't need it yeah or you just rent one you know on that occasional trip when you need to as we always say go see grandma in denver or something you go rent a gas car or go rent a volt or something right yeah absolutely anyway well let's find out since you're taking over and going to be our director 
Plug in America, about a year and a half ago, we started shifting more of our attention towards driver support and putting a lot of effort into National Drive Electric Week and all that stuff. Um, now that you're sitting in the driver's seat, so to speak, uh, have you had a chance yet to rough out a vision for the group going forward? Well, I've come to appreciate that Plug in America is a very uh, a unique animal, shall we say. It's different than other organizations. And I think that comes from the way it was created, that it came out of the the, you know, don't crush our cars movement uh, about 10, 12 years ago. And it, it really, for such a long time, it, it wasn't an organization in the traditional sense. It was a movement. It was a group of very passionate EV drivers and advocates who cared very deeply about the vehicles and had built up a really deep well of expertise about the driving experience and the needs of drivers and uh, since it has be- has become uh, a 501c3 and now is a registered nonprofit, the the real strength of the organization continues to be that network and that that deep expertise and that deep passion uh, among the drivers. And so, um, as we're now b- building up the capacities of the organization, uh, with myself on board, I imagine we'll be hiring a, a few people over the coming six months or a year. Um, I think that we will continue to uh, rely to a large extent on the the expertise of our network of uh, drivers and vehicle owners. And that's really valuable in the world. Uh, We're the only organization that I'm aware of that really focuses in only on uh, promoting the rollout of EVs from the perspective of the drivers, that what we're about is making sure that the voice of the drivers is heard. And so in the world, when I think about, well, how do we, how do we take this really unique skill set that we have as an organization, there's a lot of people in the world, there's a lot of organizations that are supportive of EVs now. You know, it's been a long road to get here, but, you know, electric vehicles now are sort of like motherhood and apple pie. Nobody's against them, really. Um, and a lot of people want to support them, uh, but people don't know very much about them. So we're this well of expertise that others can draw upon. We have a lot of allies that are advocating and, and encouraging the same goals. And I, I think a big part of what we can do is to help them get there. So, for example, a lot of the electric utilities are very big supporters of EVs as well, but they're pretty new to the game. And so we have the ability to bring to them the voice of the driver and help them think through programs uh, that if they want to get more vehicles out on the streets and they want to get more charging infrastructure in, we can help them think that through in a way that works best for the drivers. Uh, There's a lot of government agencies now, uh, particularly at the the local government level and a number of, of, of states that are very supportive of EVs and want to design programs that help to get the vehicles out on the streets and um, we have a lot of, of wisdom on that, that that we can bring to bear. Uh, so I think that that's a big part of what we can do going forward yep. uh, is, is really be supportive of what I'm calling these kind of allied organizations to help them better understand the needs of drivers. Sort of tied in with that, I, I want to work on building up our membership network and better supporting our members and providing more services to help them with 
you know, their decisions when they're thinking about buying a vehicle or issues about charging or, uh, so that they can, can make good decisions and, and feel like we're a value to them there. Uh, so I want to expand our, our member network even further. Uh, I really look at basically anybody who's driving an EV as someone who should be a member of Plug in America and that I, I think can add to the, the voice that we speak with nationally and that we can be supportive of them as well. Yeah, exactly. Well, and then what about the dealer experience? Some way we could kind of wedge in a dealer support on EVs where Plug in America can take a, a, a role in that regard to try and see if we can get dealers to be a little more acceptive. It, you know, and of course, a lot of them are, as you have said, but then there are a lot who are not. <laughs> so why don't you talk about that a little bit? Has that crossed, you know, have you thought about that at all? Yes, absolutely. Trust me. As as I visited all these dealers, I've, I've thought about, and and I've had conversations with some of them. With a few of the dealers, I I told them about my day job, and they, it's it's not that they're hostile to EVs. It's just that they're pretty different. The experience of selling an electric vehicle is pretty different for them than the experience of selling a gas car, and it's a little bit more work, uh, and it takes uh, a little bit more knowledge, and particularly for a salesman that's only selling, you know, maybe one or two EVs in the course of a month, he's not going to develop a deep level of expertise on it unless the manufacturer or someone is really focused on giving him that expertise. So we've been tossing around some ideas about how we can be supportive of the dealers. And again, I don't think it's that they're hostile. Um, I think that uh, it's a, a level of training that from my brief conversations with some dealers, I think they would welcome. So we need to figure out what's the appropriate way of doing that. But absolutely, that's something that, that we're playing with, how to appropriately support the dealers um, and, and make them more effective because, you know, they want to sell cars too. And if we can give them information that helps them to sell the EVs, I, I think they're certainly open to it. And then what, what about uh, local, state, and federal policy? Do you see Plug in America taking more of a role in that regard going forward? Yes, absolutely. At all three of those levels. Uh, right now, I'm particularly seeing a lot of opportunities for us to be useful at the local and state levels uh, because we have this network of drivers and activists all over the country. Um, I would like to activate that network and get them involved with supporting local policy. Uh, there are many political leaders on the local and state level that are already pretty sympathetic to EVs, as I said before. Plug-in vehicles have become sort of like motherhood and apple pie. You'll find a lot of people that are very sympathetic to them right now. And I think that what we can do is engage local activists and try to give uh, policymakers at the local and state level the tools and the best practices uh, for how to support the rollout of EVs in their cities and in their states. There's a lot of benefits in addition to the obvious environmental benefits of EVs, there's a lot of other benefits that people find attractive. They have huge clean air benefits. So in cities where there are air quality problems, like in my hometown of Los Angeles, local uh, electeds tend to be very sympathetic to EVs because they're really very beneficial. They also can help to stabilize the grid. So a lot of utilities like them because they charge at night and they can balance out the load. Uh, so it gives the utility a lot more flexibility. Uh, and then even for people that are somewhat on the right and are concerned about um, 
defense and energy security. EVs are using a, a locally produced fuel instead of one that's imported from overseas. I These days I drive on fuel that is gathered on my rooftop from our solar panels, and you can't say that with gasoline. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing better than having a gas station on your roof, huh? That's right. <laughs> anyway, so I guess we need to uh, close this out. We're starting to get a little long here, but uh, of course – I'd just like to kind of caveat everything that's been said here. Joel's been with us about two months, and he's just kind of thinking out loud right now. And a lot of the stuff has to go to the board, and we'll have more information in the future. And we'll get you on, certainly, Joel, to talk about what uh, what direction we might be heading in the next couple of months. Does that sound like a plan? Yeah, absolutely. I think in the next month or two, uh, we're going to be looking at rolling out some new and very exciting initiatives, and uh, we'll definitely be reaching out to our members and supporters to help us with a lot of those. So you'll be you'll be hearing from me for sure. All right. And of course, in the meantime, it takes money to make all this happen. No money, no program, as we like to say in the nonprofit sphere. And we'd encourage listeners to drop by uh, pluginamerica.org and uh, look for the donate tab and see if you can join or donate a little money so that we can make some of this stuff happen. Thanks for joining us, Joel. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. This has been another edition of the Plug in America show. Thanks so much for listening. And please help us get the word out about Plug in America and EVs by pointing your friends and family to the Plug in America website at pluginamerica.org. There you'll find a wealth of information about EVs, our plug-in vehicle tracker that tells you what EVs are available, what's coming and when, a blog, information about EV chargers and public charging, multimedia content, promotional materials, and much more. And, of course, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for us there. If you'd like to find out more about me, my name is Bob Tregillis, and I'm on Facebook and Twitter as well. And please remember, Plug in America is a non-profit electric vehicle advocacy group, and our work is supported by your generous donations. Please consider donating by visiting pluginamerica.org today, and we appreciate your kind support. Thanks to Anglegord, whose music was used here by permission. And until next time, remember, at Plug in America, we drive electric, and you can too.